Okay, Lialda, you've entered the ballroom. What do you want to do? Okay, I want to convince Lord Himmelman to send troops to support my friends on the battlefield. All right, roll a persuasion check. Okay, got a 19. With a 19, he says that he'd be happy to help your friends as the silent swords are enemies of his. As he responds to you, over Himmelman's shoulder, you notice a would-be assassin approaching, knife drawn. Oof, okay. I want to sneakily take Lord Himmelman's toupee off of his head and then throw it at the assassin to distract him. Wait, wait, wait. Aren't, aren't you talking to Lord Himmelman? Oh, oh yeah, good point. Well, since I'm a bard, I also want to serenade him with a song on my lute to help distract him. Oh, oh, okay. Roll performance or, or, or sleight of hand. And I guess throwing the toupee is considered a, a ranged attack? In this episode of Becoming DM, we're talking about the nuances of skills and when to use them in your game. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Felicia. And first off, before we really get started, I do want to make sure that we take a second to thank Matthew Hogan. Matthew reached out and gave us the idea for the topic of this episode. So thank you, Matthew. It's it's emails like that that really help us uh, move along. So Let's go ahead and and get into it. So as we said, we're talking about skills today, but but the goal is not to cover every skill possible. Um, we're we're really kind of talking about those skills that sound like they overlap with other skills, and 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 really kind of discuss how they may be misinterpreted or different ways that you can use them to uh, to meet the needs of your game. And it's really important, too, because, you know, you don't necessarily as a DM want to fall into the habit of utilizing the same skill over and over and over. You know, not every situation dictates that, oh, roll for perception, roll for perception, roll for perception. And did I mention <laughs> rolling for perception? Um, you know, those skill sets, they're there for a reason. And, and it allows you to create various circumstances that allow people to use those skills. So you want to make sure that you kind of vary it up for your players. Yeah, if you if you continue to use the same skills, the same like subset of skills over and over and over again, that's going to inform your players on what they need to focus on when they build their when they build their character and so they'll they'll have this character if you're in Pathfinder and you can continue adding stuff to it. They'll have this character with this plus 15 to perception but, <laughs> but like a plus 1 to to something else that that you may have been able to use um but because yeah, you only use this one wonder. set, that's all they're focused on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and the thing is, too, is, is it's good to have a good working knowledge of all of these skills, too, because you may end up having a situation where you have to make a quick judgment call on what to use or what skill you need them to use. Um, Maybe it, something you wouldn't, you know, wasn't or you weren't really anticipating. But if you have a good working knowledge of these skills, it allows you to adapt as a DM to these circumstances, um, especially if your characters throw a curveball at you. Um, you'll be able to tell them what skills. Yeah. <laughs> um, that way you can tell them which skills to use um, in, in that particular circumstance. And while uh, while some episodes in the past we've done things specific to D&D or Pathfinder, uh, there's a lot of overlap between the skills in both systems. So we are going to talk about both systems as we go through this. So if you play one game or the other, don't feel like you're being left out. We're going to get you covered. <laughs> we got your back. <laughs> so... 
uh, first up is is um, those kind of physical skills. We're talking about acrobatics and athletics uh, in D and D, and then acrobatics and climb or swim in Pathfinder. Uh, because a, an interesting thing between the two games, uh, Pathfinder decided not to have an athletic skill. Instead, they just said, all right, we're going to break this out. We'll have a climbing skill and a swimming skill. And if you need something else, you got to figure it out on your own. <laughs> <laughs> There's that skill too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've, you know, I have most of my experience with, with dandy. Um, so, you know, when it came to acrobatics and athletics, um, most of the time that I have used anything in that type of, um, scenario has been, um, more strength related stuff. But if we're talking about like acrobatics, for example, that's definitely things that require say like balance um or careful footing for example like you're walking on a tightrope or you're having to like jump from rock to rock uh, across like a lava river um you know parkour you know cool backflips <laughs> while throwing a toupee um you know things like that are going to require acrobatic skills yeah and and um when when you talk about athletics uh, i'd like to think of it as more sort of strength related activities you're climbing walls you're swimming uh you're playing football oh wait the word we're I guess maybe your game has playing football in it. Um, <laughs> or maybe you're throwing your uh, your halfling buddy across the chasm. That could be an athletic <laughs> check as well. Happens more <laughs> often than you think. And and sometimes you'll have a situation where where um where there are different approaches that could use both acrobatics and athletics. Um yeah, absolutely. And, and, in fact, in the the session that I had going on this past weekend, there was a we were playing Pathfinder, so it wasn't athletics; it was climbing. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a they were trying to get from one large boulder to another without getting destroyed by these made up magma magma monsters, and they could have jumped directly to the first boulder, and it was going to be an acrobatics check because they're they're landing, trying not to fall off the boulder and doing all that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas one of the players who wasn't very good at acrobatics, but he was great at <laughs> athletics, he opted to climb down, run over to the other boulder and then climb up it. And he mm -hmm. had enough movement to do it and, and just chose to go that route instead. And they were both su successful in the end. Nice. Yeah, I had a I had one circumstance where um, we had an individual who had to be able to um, also go across um it was like a raging river, but like one of the party couldn't swim. So they had to carry that person on their back. So it was sort of like a, a double test. Like you were saying, like how well could they get across the river? How well could they carry someone on their back successfully? Um, and I also had one where they were crossing a lava river. Similar, they had to jump from rock to rock across the river. the lava river? river? <laughs> Not because this one. Impressive. <laughs> <laughs> it was very resistant to lava. Um, no, and in this one, it was a very similar circumstance having to get across the lava um, river while also having someone on their back. So it required sort of like you were saying, a multifaceted approach when it came to skills. Yeah. And, and as we go through these, um, there's going to be unique cases in your game where maybe a, a skill doesn't perfectly fit what, what they're trying to do. And the big thing as a, as a DM is to I understand when that's happening and to really make a judgment call and say, all right, yeah, this may not exactly be an athletics but I'm gonna gonna have you roll it as that instead. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, ultimately, like in these scenarios, sort of like you were saying, there really isn't any wrong answer whether you decide to go 
um, acrobatics or athletics. It, either way, it's just going to be appropriate to the scenario. It's not exactly like you're going to be like, roll for animal handling. <laughs> As you climb the wall. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's really funny because um, there was a, um, a campaign that I ran recently for my husband and a friend that was staying with us um, and another friend who had come over and um, she was an elf and he was a dwarf. And it was just, it was funny because every opportunity that he got, he wanted to see how well he could throw the elf across whatever it is that they needed to get across. So at one point in time, it was quicksand. Um, there was the lava river. Uh, there was also like a booby trapped hallway. Uh, and every single time he was just like, okay, I'm going to try and throw the elf. <laughs> um, and, and each time he was, I just rolled terribly. Like each time he was unsuccessful. So the poor thing ended up getting the short end of the stick. And and the elf didn't complain is the thing that just boggles my mind. (laughs) She definitely complained. She was like, he's, he's limited to the amount of times that he's able to, to like try and do this. Cause you know, he was trying, (laughs) but it was more than once, obviously. It definitely was. And it was sort of funny because he was trying to do it unawares. So I'm like, so I guess this is sleight of hand and then <laughs> and then strength, like trying to catch her unawares. <laughs> but um it was it was an interesting scenario. One that did not work out very well in their favor, but um yeah, there was definitely some skill checks involved. Yep. Uh so moving on to kind of the next set of skills, uh, we're, we're talking about persuasion and deception in Pathfinder. It's called diplomacy and bluff, but they're really, if you dig under the covers, they're pretty much the same skills. Um, mm-hmm. so, so when we're talking about persuasion and diplomacy, and I'm just going to probably refer to persuasion for from now on, because so I don't have to have two names the whole time. Uh, you're really talking about trying to convince someone to help you to agree with you, um, this is going to be something that you're going to be used for uh, negotiating with a, with a vendor to give you a better price. Uh, it could be talking to um, to the Lord to get him to send his army to help you. And and depending upon the situation, you could just have a uh, when you when you choose to use this skill, you could just have a, a, a difficulty level that you're trying to get them. And if they roll above that difficulty level, all is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to for for that diplomacy, for the persuasion aspect of it is to have it be a contested role. So uh, mm-hmm. if if you're talking to somebody and they're trying to get their way, uh, I think negotiating better prices with a with a vendor is, is an excellent use of this. And you roll your your persuasion and they roll their persuasion and 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 whoever wins gets and by how much kind of determines how successful you are um in my mind and yeah like for me like one thing i i enjoy doing and i i mentioned the, this to you before is is uh <laughs> there's there's great ways to go about this but i frequently start a lot of my campaigns in a tavern so mm-hmm. um there are many instances where my players are like, okay, well, let's say I buy a round and I buy another round and I buy another round. <laughs> and at this point, your NPC is pretty inebriated. So getting information out of them is, is a lot easier than perhaps it was before. Um, and I'll let them do things like I'll let them roll at the advantage for it. Um, the persuasion is quite persuasive at that point. Yeah. And, and keeping an eye on what the actual situation is can really help um, help use those skills better. So if you're using just a straight difficulty, then if the person is 
already upset with you, then you would have a, a disadvantage in D and D or a negative mm-hmm. to the to the role and Pathfinder. Whereas if they're friends with you and they like you already, then you would you would have a have a positive effect on that. So keeping an eye out when you're using the skills and and understanding what the situation is to apply those uh, those levers to make it easier or harder for the players is is important too. Yep. Um, but we've we've talked about that persuasion side. Let's talk about deception and bluff. Mm. And and this is I, I have a couple of characters that I really have kind of put a lot into. I've I've playing playing rogues and have expertise in in deception and and the mm-hmm. goal of the character is just to be kind of like a con man type because mm-hmm. that's what your that's what this skill is really for is is for that lying and making a believable lie to the uh, NPCs that you're talking with, uh, and and one. When I'm running games, the thing that I like to make sure that players understand is that the lie has to be within the realm of believability. Because if if you tell something that's just so unbelievable, so not possible it's going to happen, it doesn't matter how high you roll, you're not going to succeed at convincing this person that, that that thing actually happened. It sort of reminds me of that time um, in the movie Meet the Parents where mm-hmm. Ben Stiller was trying to convince his father-in-law that he was milking a cat. <laughs> I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think that would be a perfect scenario for something like that. Yeah. So just just understand. I mean, yeah, there there are some definite tall tales <laughs> that you can tell, but there there gets to be a point of believability where it's just not believable. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> and again, this is one of those that it is it is going to be a contested check. Uh, so you're you're going to roll against the opponent's uh, insight, or if you're mm-hmm. Pathfinder sense motive skill. Um, so th- and and we'll talk about those here in just a little bit. But to to see who who wins that face off and who believes who, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that's also uh, an important opportunity to. Um use the insight skill because a lot of times people think of deception and bluff as you trying to deceive the other. But, you know, when you were talking about, you know, who's going to lie better, you know, it's also an opportunity for you to see if your character can tell if someone else mm-hmm. is, is deceiving them. And insight is a very important part of that. Um, it's one that I, I haven't actually, I don't think any of my players have actually really used. Um, they've obviously tried to, persuade, intimidate, or lie, but they've never been on the receiving end of that. Um, you, you probably have more experience with that, but I think it's one of those skills that like a lot of times it sort of falls by the wayside and people don't always necessarily know that they can use it or just don't take that opportunity. Well, I think the, the big thing is, is that, that, um, at least when I'm running a game, I prefer my players not to say, Hey, I, I want to roll insight. I want them to be like, Hey, do I notice anything about them or do I feel like they're telling the truth? And then I can tell them, yeah, well, let's roll insight or, or sense exactly. motive and, and see what you, what you kind of see. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and it, there's, there's definitely opportunities, especially if you're in a, in a role play heavy game where you have a lot of, well, let's say intrigue or something like mm-hmm. that, that you can, you can leverage this uh, in your game. But I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> the next skill we want to talk about really isn't a pair of skills like we've been doing, but it's one that I feel like a lot of people uh, get upset about, maybe, with how it's <laughs> imp- implemented in the game. And 
and it's something I, I don't think they have to be upset about. And now I'm making like bigger than it actually is. It's yeah, intimidating. No, <laughs> <laughs> so with uh-huh. intimidate, it, it's a it's a charisma based skill. And and what I see a lot mm-hmm. of people uh, getting upset about is like I'm a barbarian. I've got this big strength, and I can crush a man's skull in my hand, but I can't intimidate him because my charisma is eight. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, and, you're just not very charismatic. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and I think there's there's ways around this. Um, so intimidation is not there. There are there are definitely ways that intimidation can rely upon charisma. So, for instance, if if I know a secret about you and your family and I know the right buttons to push to make you think that I'm going to release that secret that mm-hmm. will ruin your life, um, that would definitely be a charisma based intimidation. However, yeah. If I'm going to throw you up against the wall and make you believe that I'm going to crush your skull, uh, if if I haven't, well, let's just go the opposite direction. If I have an eight strength, that's not going to be be very believable. <laughs> yeah, and like a slap across the face. Eh, take that. <laughs> so, I mean, really, from from a DM's perspective, I think it it helps to understand what your players are doing. And and you can, even though intimidation is a charisma skill in the book, uh, you can have intimidation charisma and intimidation strength and apply it as needed uh, based upon what they're actually doing. Yeah, and there's a, there was a scenario that I ran way, way back for my, um, my players where they had stumbled or well, they had gotten attacked by um, an orc raiding party and then they won against them and there was a couple left alive and they had the option of either killing them or trying to get information out of them. And in that particular situation, even though like intimidation would have been a charismatic role for this particular scenario, I went ahead and um, let them use strength because in this case, these orcs only knew one language. Um, <laughs> That was brute violence. Um, but that was a scenario where, you know, there wasn't much leverage to hold over them except for the threat of, you know, physical violence. So it worked out for them in that in that particular um, scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just understanding what the situation is and, and how to uh, how to best apply it, even though there's not on the character sheet an intimidation strength. Yeah, you can definitely should you can, you can definitely have that. And I think that if they had added that, there would have been a lot more people being like, okay, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> yeah. All those barbarians out there. <laughs> Are you a forever DM? Do you look into the future and see no opportunity for joining a game as a player? If that's the case, and you just want a little break to bust some heads and clear out a bandit fortress... Darkwind's got you covered, with areas built for all levels in mind and lots of character customization options. You can have fun in your break from being a DM. The best part? You don't have to lay down any cash for source books, miniatures, or anything else, because Darkwind is completely free. So go to play.darkwind.org to create your character today. Let's get back to the show. Let's maybe move on to the next set of skills. I'll let you go ahead and introduce this one. Uh, so this next one, um, and like you said, we did jump ahead a little bit on the uh, insight portion of it, but we've got, they're kind of intertwined, but perception, investigation, and insight, um, you know, all of these sort of are, are the more intuitive of the skill sets, but 
I mean, we're all very familiar with perception. You walk into a room or a cave or somewhere and you're going to see if, if there's anything that you happen to hear or see or feel or notice. It's a very, you know, organic, intuitive skill. Um, usually, uh, uh, even though we don't, like, you know, there is perception and there's also passive perception for me, I've always felt like perception in and of itself tended to be a more passive thing because it's just something that you, your body almost instinctively notices when you enter a space. Um, investigation is, Hey, I want to be more proactive and seeing what is around me. I'm going to start doing more of a, of a deeper check. I'm going to start looking for hidden spots, see if I notice anything. Um, I'm going to try and, you know, do a little problem solving, that kind of thing. Um, you know, deducing X, Y, and Z based off of what I've found. So it's, it's definitely a more active role when it comes to figuring out what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. And then we were mentioning before about insight, um, that sensing motive, you know, is someone deceiving you? Is someone lying to you? Um, are you able to sort of figure out what their true motives are? Each of these sort of in, in, involves a sort of a, um, I would say like a, a researching aspect, but each one definitely, you know, in its own separate way is trying, is you trying to get more clarity on, you know, the context and the situation around you. But um, I think a lot of people, especially I, I found that I made a very common mistake I made early on was that I always used to get my perception and my investigation sort of mixed up. So mm-hmm. if we would have like, let's say like um, they would walk into a space and obviously they would roll for reception and maybe they discovered, you know, a couple ogres sleeping on the floor or something like that. And they had the fight. And then when they were done, they wanted to see like what was going on. Why were the ogres there? And I used to be like, yeah, whatever, roll for perception, roll for perception, as opposed to like actually rolling for investigation for them to actually like loot the bodies and see what was going on. And that was initially my very new DM misunderstanding that there actually is a a distinct difference between perception and investigation. Unless you're playing Pathfinder and investigation doesn't exist. (laughs) And there you go. Maybe Uh, I should have started Pathfinder. (laughs) <laughs> I, I like I like how you kind of describe the the difference between perception and ve- investigation is kind of more passive versus active. I I kind of picture investigation is like you're going around the room, you're picking up stuff and looking under it, and you're really kind of digging into what the room is. Where, yeah, with perception, you may wander around the room and look at things, but you're not going to spend as much time uh, really kind of moving stuff around and getting under things and mm-hmm. and things like that. And investigation can you can provide you not only finding those hidden things, but also some insight into what what that might be a clue to. So very Sherlock Holmes. It, it's a great way to um, if you're doing puzzles like we talked about in a previous episode, mm-hmm. it's a great way to uh, give them clues to those puzzles as well. Just do an investigation check and see what they can find out. Yep. So uh, let's talk. A little bit about stealth. Mm, sneaky. Yep. Uh, if you've got uh, if you got the sneaky sneaks in your party, this is probably a conversation <laughs> that you need to hear uh, mm. because uh, oftentimes when when you have somebody that says I'm gonna I'm gonna stealth it up or whatever, uh, first off, I, I find that a lot of people don't necessarily say what they're gonna do. They're just I'm gonna sneak around. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, are you going to try and <laughs> like just walk down the hall stealthily? Um, be- <laughs> because just because somebody ri- rolls high on a stealth roll doesn't mean they're hidden from view. It yeah. may mean that that somebody 
doesn't notice that they're sneaking by because maybe they're not looking out in the open at that spot. But if you're just out in the open and you're not hidden in the shadows behind something, et cetera, et cetera, it becomes immensely more difficult to stealth it up and actually be hidden from view. Unless it's like Metal Gear and there's a very convenient box lying around that you can just hide in. <laughs> hey, you never know. Boxes are boxes are good, right? <laughs> <laughs> they work so well. Um, I, I feel like for me, a very common scenario um, when it comes to stealth is that a lot of people will try to send like their familiars ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether you're a warlock or a ranger or whatever, you'll be like, oh, okay, I'm going to send my familiar ahead to see, you know, if they sense anything. And I, I hold those familiars just as accountable for stealth as I would any regular player because, like you were saying, just because, you know, it's a familiar doesn't mean that it's any less susceptible to being noticed by enemies or, you know, whoever is actually in that space that they're trying to sneak into. Yeah, and, and you're you're playing in a world where there's magic and people have familiars. And so a a, a rat or a bat or whatever that goes into the room there there's a good chance that if it's seen it by an intelligent creature it they may take a moment to say why is a bat here is that somebody's familiar oh crap we got a wizard coming in or whatever yeah what is that demon doing in this ballroom <laughs> and and additionally um for for stealth uh you you could do a contested stealth roll again if mm-hmm. if somebody has bonuses at the yin yang and rolls like a twenty eight on their on their stealth, yeah, that's great. But if you have a highly perceptive uh, person that they're trying to sneak around on, and they also mm-hmm. roll like a twenty nine because they're super perceptive, uh, then they could fail that, despite the fact that they rolled a nat twenty, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. So something to keep in mind, uh, a lot of, if you go by just rules as written, a nat 20 in, in a skill is not an automatic success. Certain DMs roll it, roll it differently. They, some, some say that it is. So keep that in mind just as you play out your game, how you're going to treat those and make sure your players know before you get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of stealth and moving on from that whole thing is, is survival and nature. Um, and, and I think, what was it in Pathfinder? Uh, it is the, it's survival and the knowledge nature skill. Okay. And this is actually the one that, that, um, that, uh, that, uh, yeah. <laughs> excuse <laughs> me. This is the one that, that Matthew actually specifically cited when he sent this in. He, he was like, well, there's a lot of skills that kind of overlap and, and sometimes yeah. it's hard to know the difference. And he cited survival and nature specifically. And I agree, you read through the description for, for both of those and they can definitely be very, uh, if you read them certain ways, they can look very similar. Like they can both do the same thing. Yeah, definitely like easier to, or it can be easy to kind of mix them up in certain scenarios, accidentally use one where the other should have been used. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you were, you had told me that you sort of thought that survival is kind of akin to boy scout skills, right? Yeah. So you're, you're tying knots to secure things. You're making fire, surviving difficult conditions, um, navigating, <laughs> navigating through the forest, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, uh, nature is kind of like, you know, about the na- natural world. You may not have the application of, of how to use those things. Maybe. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, 
I, I, I like to always like kind of relate mine to certain classes. Like rangers are really good when it comes to survival because there's a lot of of that involved, you know, making fire and setting up camp and, you know, surviving those difficult situations. And I usually, when I think nature, I think a lot more of like druids where there's like a lot of knowledge of herbal remedies and plants and animals. They're very akin to that whole natural aspect. So, you know, I mean, both obviously benefit from survival and nature, but I think um, there was one where it was like, oh, you know, this one has knowledge of, you know, how to make these types of plants in order to provide like, you know, meditation or to provide healing of some sort um, versus another one where it's like, Hey, if it's crazy raining and, you know, normal people probably wouldn't be able to make a fire, you know, having a high survival skill increases your chances of being able to make a fire successfully. Yeah. I I like the, um, the surviving nature elements of survival because that mm. kind of is in the name. Whereas, <laughs> whereas like knowing that these berries will cause you to hallucinate if you eat them, uh, yes. maybe more of a more of a nature thing. Identifying the the types of berries, the types of plants, and knowing what they what they do. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of consider in that. So setting up a shelter in the sandstorm to make sure you don't die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, survival. Uh, um, Finding a finding a well and being able to tell if the water is drinkable, uh, maybe nature. Yeah, it, I mean, and no one can deny that they're very much intertwined. I mean, survival and nature very much are um, mm-hmm. an intertwined skill set, you know. And it can definitely be seen that why you may end up using one when you should use the other because it, chances are you're in nature and you're trying to survive. It probably requires both in order for you to be successful. Um, it's one that I tend to have a little more leniency towards just because I I do approach it like that. Like it could be one of those things where you need to know about your terrain, but you're also trying to survive. Yeah. And, and really ultimately this is kind of a, a a DM judgment call. You may be listening Mm -hmm. to us describe how we treat them and saying, man, these guys are stupid. Why would you do that? Uh, (laughs) But but as long as you, as long as you treat the skills the same and they're applied Uh the same each time you apply them, then, then I think that, that you've got a little bit of leeway there. Yeah. The, the book has some descriptions and the descriptions do have some overlap. Um, And I, I think that, I think that there is a reason that they have that overlap is, is because they want you to have a little bit of leeway. And, and if they were very strict, set in stone, very easy to distinguish between, then it would be a lot more difficult for you to say, well, this time I'm going to, I'm going to have you do, do the nature skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe I'm doing it because I'm just being a nice DM and I saw that you happen to have a better nature skill than survival and, <laughs> and we're trying to get through this. <laughs> yeah. It's totally why. <laughs> Yeah, you never know. I mean, sometimes, sometimes that's the case. Like you've got these characters, and one of them has this uh, this nature skill, and yeah. and it's 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 a gray area. And so maybe you're just like, well, you know what? We're going to do nature this time, just because you know this stuff, and go from there. It's your forte. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk next. We're kind of moving out of the the skills that are there. And one thing I wanted to make sure we talked about in this episode is creating new skills because you've got this list of skills in 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 both games that can look like they're very set and defined. Uh, yeah. I think the Pathfinder character sheet has a little bit more flexibility and that you've got some craft skills where there's a blank where you can say what you're skilled in crafting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, but the the D and D character sheet is very. You've got this many spaces. There's really not any, any room to even write another skill space. But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean you can't. Yeah. <laughs> plenty um, of other blank slots on that page you can fill up. Yeah. So so if you have a an activity that your players regularly do, or something that you know that they're regularly going to do, uh, it might it might be a good idea to create a skill for that and allow them to get proficiency in it or, or, or apply skill points to it. If you're in Pathfinder Um, and, and you have, uh, you have a kind of unique skill add on that you use in your game too. I'm going to let you kind of talk about that real quick. Okay. Um, Yeah. So it's definitely not, you know, the way that you would traditionally use skills, but you know, we were, trying to find other, well, I was trying to find other ways to, to creatively use skills that weren't necessarily on the list. And so I went ahead and actually let my players choose a skill that they would like to have um, a particular proficiency in and allow them that whenever we hit a village or a town, they could utilize those particular proficiencies um, to allow them to earn more income or more money as they go in. So one of them you know, uh, was a translator. One, uh, my husband, like he is a, like master brewmaster. We have one that's like a blacksmith. Um, so they have like those different skills, uh, depending on the village that we go to, they could try to utilize those skills, um, to earn themselves some more income, um, with each one that they go to. It was just sort of like a little extra plus. It wasn't like a, a as distinct of a skill set as like, you know, stealth or perception or intelligence or anything like that. But it was sort of just a pseudo, an add-on pseudo skill that gave them the opportunity to sort of um, increase their income. Yeah, and it, it also I think serves a little bit as character development because I know that I know that Renee, who had the brewmaster skill, it came <laughs> up throughout the game that that this All is what he did, and like yeah. he had he had he had brews that you could get from him, and he would go to a mm-hmm. place find a barrel and be like, "Oh, there's no beer in here, and we got to fix this." <laughs> so it, it can. <laughs> it can add for for character development as well. Um, Absolutely. Um, but uh, the other kinds of skills. So I, I recently, this past weekend, had a game with with one of my groups, and they had been traveling down this river of lava on this massive, massive stone that didn't melt uh, in the lava, and it kind of floated. And they mm-hmm. got to this landing spot and. Uh, they encountered an obstacle that they thought that they probably should use some lava on, but they didn't have mm-hmm. any way to transport it. So they like, all right, well, I'm going to try. I've got I've got uh, a hammer and some pythons. I'm going to try and carve uh, a ladle out of this rock that we just wrote on because <laughs> it won't melt in the lava. So that's good. And so I, I said, all right, well, let's do that. And I started out with just a basic. Um, I don't remember. I think it was an intelligence role or, or something. I don't recall which yeah. one. And they they used it and he rolled really well. I think he rolled a, a 19 or, or 20 with it. And I said, all right, well, based upon that roll, I'm going to say that you have developed a lava ladle skill where you can make <laughs> lava ladles and you get, a, you get a proficiency bonus to that. And so he was like, all right, awesome. And he we were playing a roll 20 and he went ahead and added a crafting lava ladle oh skill God. to his character sheet and he rolled it and it was like, oh, this is perfect. He's a professional lava ladler. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was a skill that he may never, ever use again. Yeah. But 
probably not, I'm going to say. <laughs> but it was it was still a lot of fun in the game and it was goofy mm-hmm. and, and the players had a lot of fun with it. But other skills that you could add that actually would have a bearing on the game is, mm-hmm. at least in the base games that are out there, the, the core rule books that are out there, players' handbooks, there is no sailing skill. So if you wanted to have a high seas adventure, there's no skill to manage a boat or anything like that. So you could make a sailing skill and based upon experience or if they got training from a ship's captain or something like that, you could mm-hmm. give them a proficiency in that, that that would allow them to do better at that than just some intelligence role or whatever, uh, whatever you use for that. Well, there's others like, um, you know, the more heavier like role playing games, like let's say there is like uh, an instant where your players have to go to oh, like they're on a dip- uh, diplomacy mission and they go to like, you know, a, a castle or a ballroom and there has to be like, oh, you know, maybe they have to know how to dance like certain mm-hmm. dances and stuff like that. Those that's another like set of skills where it's like, hey, maybe a brewmastering dwarf and and heavy armor maybe isn't the best choice for dancing (laughs) you know so um you know yeah there's there's definitely scenarios that come across where yeah a very specific skill set like sailing like dancing things like that um or things that like your players can acquire or maybe they had and we just you know it just didn't come up and they need to roll and see how well they can actually do yeah and i think that the the things to really consider before you go down the road of, of creating a skill is is first off is it something that is going to uh, enhance their character in the long run? Is it something mm-hmm. that can provide them character development, something that they can bring into role playing? Because if it is, then then I think you've got your answer right there. Do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, is it something that they will repeatedly use in the game uh, because you have this particular mechanic that's going to be reintroduced and reintroduced? Mm-hmm. If so, then then building that skill into, into your game is probably something that you want to do. And then last one, is it going to be entertaining? Like the lava. <laughs> <laughs> that's, always, that's always the best one. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know if you have any other, other kind of checks and balances to make sure you're not making a skill for no reason, but those are really the three that, that off the top of my head come to mind. No, I, I absolutely like wholeheartedly agree. And, and definitely like you were saying, entertainment For me, the the humor and the fun and the entertainment, I mean, that's why everyone comes together in the first place is because inevitably we're all just there to have a good time. And if it adds to that, if it enriches that experience, then absolutely 100% add it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Well, I think that's what we wanted to talk today about skills. Um, Thank you for joining us. And just like uh, like Matthew did, if you have a topic that you want to talk to us, want us to talk about, please send it in. We'd love to. We'd love to see what you want to hear. We're happy Mm -hmm. to create an episode. I think we we had one episode between Matthew's request and this episode, so we can get it done quick. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just reach out to us uh, on on our website, becomingdm.com. On Twitter, uh, we're at BecomingDM. And on Facebook, it's Facebook.com slash BecomingDM. So thanks again. And I guess until next time, (laughs) stay nerdy, friends. friends. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We are just three episodes away from our one-year anniversary. And it's exciting to see how much the podcast has grown in that time. As always, please share us to your friends and family to help us grow. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Felicia Martinez. The show was edited by John Welsh. You can find us on the web at becomingdm.com and Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm or on Twitter, we're at becomingdm. 
We'll see you in two weeks.